Okay, that, that's money on money, right? Money talks. Um, <laughs> you know that, that voice, it sounds so familiar to me. You can imagine that the person's probably really tall, right? And obviously British, because clearly. <laughs> All right, so that's money on money, but we are starting a new series about Jesus on money. And so we're going to be walking through what Jesus has to say about uh, our financial resources. And I know that for some of you, you're, maybe this is your first time here or your second or you've been, you just started coming back to church again and, and now we're talking about money. And you know, you probably thought all these churches, that's all they ever do. And maybe you visited some other churches that this, that's what they do. They talk about money all the time. And so I apologize to you because I, I just want to promise you we don't talk about money all the time. And you can talk to the folks in the lobby after the service. Hey, does this church talk about money all the time? Because that guy, you know. And uh, they will shoot you straight. But for those of you who are a little apprehensive, there's a good reason for you to be apprehensive. Because you have been to churches where every Sunday it's the, all right, let's, you know, we've got to make budget this week and you need to give. And those buckets are going through second pass here, all right? We need a little more. Some of you have been to churches or you know of churches where they're really out to steal your money. I mean, there are some churches out there where there are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they use uh, religion, and they use the Bible, and they use uh, guilt to try to get you to give money so that they can have more. That's a reality, and it was a reality in Jesus' day as well. But I'll tell you what's interesting is that the most angry that we ever see Jesus is when people are using religion to steal money. I mean, you all see pictures of Jesus. A lot of times he's really passive and sweet and docile, you know? He's like a very, you know, you could keep Jesus as a pet in your home. But the Jesus we see at the temple courts is a different Jesus. When he sees these Pharisees and these, these, these priests stealing people's money, he comes in there with a whip and he cleans out the temple courts from all those that are stealing. And he doesn't come over and say, oh, would you please move these money tables out of the way? Jesus comes over and flips the money tables up because he's got a righteous anger over people using the church to steal money. And so I want to tell you here at LifePoint, we're, we're not doing those things. And uh, we don't ask for money all the time. We do have a, a big give that we ask for on, on the December 12th. It's coming up here uh, pretty quick. And uh, it's a time of the year where we do this big offering, and it goes to, to fund a lot of the different uh, uh, charity things and outreach and mission stuff. Uh, just by the way, so you know, uh, every time that every every Sunday that we receive an offering, we give ten percent of that off the top to missions. That's just you know part of what happens here. But um, you're not going to hear us begging about money all the time. And part of the reason that you're not going to hear that is because we have a very generous church. You guys are are very faithful, and you give out of your surplus, and uh, we're we're thankful for that. And God thanks you for that. So if that's the case, why talk about money? Things are going pretty good. Why talk about money? We're going to talk about money because Jesus talked about money. And in fact, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic, except for one, the kingdom of God. Other than that, Jesus was talking about money. Now, why did Jesus talk about money so much? You see, there's hardly anything out there that's going to have a bigger impact on your life than your money, how you earn your money, how you save your money, how you give your money how you spend your money, how you think about your money. 
And you see, part of the reason is that our money is directly tied to our values, those things that are most important in our life. If you, if you have a question, what, what do I value? What's most important to me? Go take a look at your checkbook. A lot of times your checkbook will give you the answer to that question. All right, so we're going to talk about money today. But I've already laid out that there's some people out there who are out to use religion to steal your money. How do you know I'm not one of those people? I mean, right, let's be cynical for a moment. It could be. I could be up here. I could be just spinning a yarn. So how will you know if you're hearing the right thing, if you're hearing the truth? Go back to the source. Always go to God's word. And so right now, if you don't have a Bible, I want you to put your hand in the air. Our ushers are going to come down the aisles. And if you don't have a Bible, this is our free gift to you. And you can use this Bible. The page numbers for the passages that we're going to look at today are going to be up on the screen. So you can find exactly that spot. And then read these passages for yourself. And I I would actually encourage you to do more study on this so that you can really find out about what God has to say about your money. Because if God truly loves you, and he's here not to try to put burdens on your back, but to relieve burdens, and he wants the best for you, then you want to know what God has to say about money. You want to hear what Jesus has to say about money. All right, let's start with the first thing that that Jesus lays out. Jesus tells us that we are to honor God with our money. Pretty simple, pretty generic. In Matthew 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, their heart will also be. All right, so Jesus says, you've got these resources, financial resources, money, things. Use those resources that you know are going to perish. They're going to run out. And find a way to exchange those for heavenly currency. Find ways to use your money to build the kingdom, to give to God's kingdom, and to give to others that are in need. And when you do that, suddenly you transfer those resources into something that is eternal, that will last forever, that will be a reward for you, whatever that looks like. That's what Jesus lays out. And now, for most of us, when we think about the church and we think about what it means to give to the kingdom, we hear the term tithe. How many of you have never, well, okay, how many of you have heard the term tithe before? Okay, almost every hand, you've, you heard that. It's, it's a very common thing. And so some people are kind of confused by it, but basically what the tithe is, is it's just another word for 10, 10%. All right? And so in the early church, what, or not just the early church, but what, what most t- churches will teach, and what you have probably heard more often than not, is that you are to give 10% of your income to the church. And so this idea, this concept here, is that you've got, you know, $9, right? God gives you these $10 here, and nine of them are for you, but then there's this $1 right here that's for the kingdom. Now, when I use this analogy, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? I mean, come on, God only wants a dollar, right, of every 10. But what if the average income here in this area is somewhere between ninety dollars and $100,000 for household income? Let's just say 100000 But God has given you 100000 was 10%. It's $10,000. So you're telling me that God wants me to buy a car for him like every year, right? (laughs) 
Every year you've got you to buy a car. He needs a new one, you know. He wants to drive the latest thing. Okay, that sounds a little, that sounds out there, right? You talk about that kind of money. What if we take it another level down? What if it's a single mom? Single mom and she's making $35,000 a year. How far does $35,000 go when you're a single mom? Probably not very far. You got a daycare, you know, you've got a, all the kind of stuff that happens. And what we're getting from the church is that that person who's struggling to get by needs to give $3,500 of their money to the church? That seems a little extreme. It seems a little out there, all right? So where did the church come up with this idea of 10%? Who was the, who was the marketing genius who, who came up with this strategy for the church to get money? Well, let's just take a comprehensive view. We're going to very quickly go through a history of the tithe, where it came from, how it got started, and, and where it's at today. So let's start with the very beginning here. I, before I do that, I almost have to kind of put all of religious history into a really quick picture for you. So you've got God, and he creates things, right? And so we've got the creation, and uh, there's this entire time previous to when God starts laying out laws, all right? We've got Abraham, Father Abraham. He's the father of the Israelite nation, and God speaks to him, calls him out. And then Father Abraham has a son. His name's Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has these these 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And so these 12 tribes, they end up uh, in Egypt. We could go through the scenario how they get there. But then there's this, this character who comes along and, and helps them to exit out of Egypt. Anybody remember what his name is? Pretty famous guy. Moses, yes. And Moses is the one who lays out the Ten Commandments. And we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. But more than just the Ten Commandments, he laid out all of this law. And that's one of the key places where we get the, the, the tithe from. But the tithe actually shows up before the law. All right? So we have pre-law, we got law, and we'll talk about the New Testament, which is going past the law. But even in the pre-law times, we see that the tithe first kind of shows itself. Abraham is out, and he has just uh, battled these, these tribes that had stolen some of his family members. And so now he's got all of these, these resources from these tribes and from stuff that was stolen. And he runs in to this high priest, says then in Genesis 14, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is also Jerusalem, so he's kind of like the king of, of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's the first place we see the tithe. Now, you got to remember, there's no Bible at this point. There's no law. There's none of this other stuff. I don't know where Abraham came up with the idea. Or he's Abram. He eventually his name changed to Abraham. I don't know where he came up with the idea of giving 10% to this priest, to this high priest who worships the holy God. Again, we don't really even know that much about this holy God. I know there's no Bible. There hasn't been a lot of prophets at this point. We don't want to have any of that stuff. All right, so now we, we move forward, all right? And we go through all those sons, and we get to Moses. And Moses goes up there, and he gets the Ten Commandments, and he lays out all these other laws. And so in one of those books, in this book called Leviticus, we get this, this command, this teaching, the, the tithe expanded. All right, Moses says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. 
It is holy to the Lord. So what he's saying there is that all of the income, all of the seed, you think of all the plants that are, that are planted, you've got your crops, their agrarian culture, agrarian crops, 10% of everything that they, they did was holy to the Lord. And not only that, but also the, the increase of their, their uh, livestock. And actually what they would do is they would have the, the livestock walk by and they would just pull out every 10th one. That way, you know, somebody wasn't tempted to go, oh, well, I'll give... I'll give God the, the weak sheep and I'm going to keep the better ones for myself. Now this way it was just whatever happened, every tenth one, just automatic. So if we were to practice this command, the tithe, you would be giving 10% of your income, of your increase, to the Lord. It's holy. Your boss gives you a paycheck. 10% of that goes in there. You're at home and you have some cats and they have a litter of kittens. That tenth kitten, you just bring him in here Sunday morning, you drop him in that popcorn bucket as it goes by. That, that's the tithe. I'm allergic to cats, so maybe it's not such a good idea. The cat probably wouldn't like it as well, but that's the picture. All right? So how do, okay, so we got this, now we got the 10%. We're good on this. We know what that is. Who do you give this to? Well, it's holy. You got to give it to God, right? So where do you go find God? Where does, like, has he got a bank? Or you, how do you exchange this? How do you make sure God gets the money? Well, we've got some more on this. Moses continues on, and, and in Numbers, he says, I, this is God speaking through Moses. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving the tent of meeting. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. All right. So we talked about these 12 tribes, right? Well, one of these tribes comes from one of the sons named Levi, and they are the Levites. And the Levites, when they finally go into the land, they don't get any land of their own. Instead, their brothers, their brother tribes, supply them with these resources, and in turn, they take care of the temple, of the place of worship, of the teaching of God's word, and the taking care of, of any of the other needs related to that. That's the picture of, of, of what the, the, uh, the Old Testament lays out. That's the tithe. And so to be very clear on this, the tithe is 10% of your increase, and it was given to these Levites, to these priests. All right, what the tithe is not is the tithe is not 2%, it's not 5%, and it's not 12%. Sometimes you'll hear people say, right now I'm only tithing 2%. Really what you're saying is you're 10%ing 2%, which sounds like a very complex math problem. And if you're giving 12%, that's not tithing. You, you would say, I am tithing, I'm giving 10%, and then I'm going above the tithe, 2%. As we laid out also with the tithe, the tithe is not, it's not your time. Now, it's not saying, I'm going to give 10% of my time to the work of the kingdom. Now, you can give 10% of your work. Really, you should give more than 10% of your work. But that's not what the tithe is. Also, the tithe is not an affirmation of how good the Levites are doing. If the Levites get up there and preach a good message or they got great donuts and coffee, and things are clicking along, you go, hey. No, 
It doesn't go. It's, it's not tied to any of those things. Because what did they say about the tithe? It says the tithe is holy. It is the Lord's. So, okay, think about this. If it's the Lord's, then that means that it is not yours. So if you take the tithe and you keep some of it for yourself, then what are you actually doing? You're stealing, right? Think about it like this. Imagine that I'm a builder, right? And I have a, uh, I've got some workers, right? And we've got this big project we've been working on, and it's payday, and he comes in, and I say, hey, uh, Billy, you did a great job this week. We'd already agreed that I was going to give you $9,000 for this project, and so I'm going to take care of you, all right? Um, thank you. You did an awesome job. Here is $9,000 for you, okay? And I know, Billy, since you like to save and you're going to go put this in the bank, you want to be carrying this around. Since you're going to the bank, um, could you go and take this other $1,000 and just put it in, my, my, in the business account there uh, so we've got things taken care of, all right? And then Billy, next week, he comes by. I go, Billy, I got a problem here. Remember, I gave you your pay, and then I also gave you the money for me that I was going to go back into my account. And I got my bank statement. It's like, there's only, you know, $200 in there. And Billy goes, oh, well, I, I'm sorry. I just, you know, was having trouble making ends meet. And so I, I just wasn't able to, you know, put all that in there this week. What am I probably going to do to Billy? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fire Billy because Billy took money that was not his. It was mine. And he, and he did something other than what I intended with it. That's the way that God views the tithes. He says we find here in the Old Testament. Now listen to this. and It, it may sound a little out there, but, but listen to the way God lays this stuff out. Speaking through the prophet of Malachi and speaking to the Israelite nation who was going through really hard, tough times. And they're crying out like, God, why are things so hard for us right now? We are really struggling. What's going on? Help us, God. Why aren't you helping us? So God's speaking through Malachi. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, well, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I just think this is one of the most powerful passages in Scripture. I mean, let, he lays this stuff out. If we were confused about it before, when we're reading Leviticus, he comes out and says, no, you have stolen. I gave you money that I intended for you to put in one place, and you didn't do it. You've stolen from me. And he says, just listen, test me. I want you to test me. I want you to test and see if I'm a real God. I want you to bring in that full tithe into my store, the full 10%, and see if I don't do two things. If I don't come and pour out blessing on you, 
Allow the income. You're, somehow you, more money is coming in. You don't even know how it's happening. But somehow more money is coming in. And then I'm going to thwart the devourer. And who's the devourer? I tell you, the devourer is the transmission that goes out. The devourer is the, the tooth that needs a root canal. You know? This is what God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. Test me in this. Bring that full tithe in. All right. That's the Old Testament. And we've been waiting. This whole entire series is Jesus on money. So we need to find out what Jesus says about tithing. And before I get into it, I need to give you a little heads up on, on something. That there are some practices that were laid out in the Old Testament that when they come to their fulfillment in the New Testament, they're not carried out in the same way. There are some things from the Old Testament that Jesus does not reaffirm or not, they're not spoken of again. Or there, there's, there's some changes. And one of those was the food laws. It used to be that you could not eat pork. You could, you could not have a ham sandwich. And then what we see is those dietary laws, they were, they were taken away. And so you can have a ham sandwich. And maybe the tithe is kind of like pork, you know? In the Old Testament, you couldn't have, you couldn't have the ham sandwich. Now you get the ham sandwich. And the, in the Old Testament days, you used to have to do that tithe, and we know how extreme the tithe is. And now in the New, New Testament, there is no command out there to tithe, so maybe you don't have to tithe. Maybe that's the case. Well, there's only two places where we have any uh, point of Jesus kind of in somewhat connected to, to this thing of the tithe. Uh, one of those, he's speaking to the Pharisees, all right? He's speaking to the teachers of the law. These were the ones who were, they were dead set going to heaven because you knew it because they, they were teachers of the law and they followed the law to a T. And, uh, you know, if anybody else was looking out there, like, those are the guys we got to be like. And Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus looks at these guys and he says, you guys think that you have this all together because you're following the letter of the law, right? You're going out there and you're taking 10% of your income and in fact, you're so meticulous with the law that you go out in your garden and you chop up little mint leaves and you're like, oh, here." Here's this little 10% mint leaf that I'm giving to God. Okay? Everything's covered, right? But then when it comes to the true spirit of the law, to justice and mercy, you stop short. You find somebody who's in need, you've given your tithe, and you've tithed your mint, but you're not going to help them out because you've done your duty, right? You see, Jesus calls on us to go beyond the tithe and spirit. To go beyond the tithe and spirit. A lot of times we think about the Ten Commandments and, and you know, we, we take them off. They're like these really extreme, very religious things and, you know, like, oh, if I could only obey the Ten Commandments, right? You know? Have you ever really looked at the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. You know, well, if I just, if I, I'm going to have great relationships with others if I can just follow the Ten Commandments. A good starting point, too, is not to kill the person, yes, okay? But shouldn't we go beyond the, the, the Ten Commandments? Isn't it, isn't, shouldn't we more than just not kill our neighbor? Shouldn't we love our neighbor to treat them as we would want to be treated? 
You see, we've taken the Ten Commandments. We have these big, lofty things. No, the Ten Commandments, they're low. They're like the bear. They're, they're like the, the, if you're doing the least possible, you're doing the Ten Commandments. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here about the tithe. You think about the 10, no, 10% not up here. That's the low. That's way down there. And I think we see this in the other instance of Jesus having some connection with the tithe. The way that they would do it, they didn't pass popcorn buckets back in Jesus' time. They would go to the temple and you would walk in and you would drop in your money. And so we find in Mark 12, Jesus and his disciples are hanging out by the temple at the time when people are bringing their tithes by. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins with only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, why is this story in here? And why does Jesus point it out? And why does Jesus say what he says? I mean, is Jesus just giving us a math lesson here? Is he teaching us fractions? He said, hey, guys, you know, let me teach you, you know, some algebra here. Um, these guys, they got, you know, you look in here, you probably think that, that this woman gave a lot less than these guys. These guys are rich. They gave a lot. She gave very little. But if you're talking percentages, fractions, they make so much more. And so these guys are giving 10%, but she only has two, and she gave it all. So she's 100%, and they're 10, so she's actually given more, right? Maybe. But I think Jesus has something else that he's wanting to speak to. Now, the, the other little problem here before I, I go any further is I go, okay, she's just given those last two copper coins, and Jesus, he's affirming what she did, right? But shouldn't he follow that statement and, and say, that was really nice what she did, but she's a widow, she should hold back some of that. She, you know, she should really keep some of that money. And these guys should give more. That's my, my point here. I want these guys to give more and, and her to give less. But Jesus doesn't say that. And remember, this is a widow, all right? And that may mean one thing to us today, but for, for in Jesus' time, if you were a widow, you had only two ways of making money, right? You could either beg for it or you could be a prostitute. That was your only choices, and so everybody realized that this was somebody who was destitute. Widows and orphans, the most destitute uh, people in Jesus' time. And yet he affirms her. Doesn't call on her to give any of it back. Says she did the right thing. See, I think at the very heart of this, Jesus is calling us to go beyond the tithe in trust. Because what happened when that widow gave her last two coins in there? Where was she going to get her next meal from? Was she just saying, I'm, I'm committing suicide here? Or was she saying by that very act that I trust God more than I trust these two copper coins? That at the end of the day, everything that I have is provided for me through and from God. And Jesus sees that kind of trust that's carried out in this faith act of giving money and he points it out. And he says, that, that's what I'm calling you to do. 
So there is no direct command in the New Testament or from Jesus to give a 10%. But I think that it's still a pretty good practice. Because if we all need a starting place, if we need to have that first step on the rung of the ladder towards God really doing things in our life and us getting to a point where we develop this relationship of trust with him, the tithe is a pretty good place to start. I, I tell you, this has been an area that I've, I've felt a lot of passion in, about, and it's one of my favorite. I know some people hate talking about money. I love talking about this topic because God has met me on this very spot so many times. I, I can remember back when we were, I was going to seminary and making $19,000 a year, and just, I'd just been offered a job for $35,000 a year, and that was like, oh, I can't, you know, that was big time money, and here I'm, I'm serving in this little church and going to seminary, and we have this baby, and um, my, we were getting by. God was, was blessing us, and, and things were working out, but my scholarship ran out, and I was faced with this dilemma that we could either continue tithing or continue going to seminary, but not both, and so you know, there was kind of this moment where you go, what if we just gave our tithe to the seminary instead of the church, and it's kind of the same thing. And, but the more we started thinking about it, we're like, okay, what are we really saying about God at that point? And so Lisa and I kind of just, we prayed about it, and we said, okay, here's the deal. We are going to continue to give the, the 10%. We're going to bring it into the storehouse, and there's no guarantees that God is going to come through in any way. But... That's okay, because I trust that God comes through either way. And if he doesn't come through with any money, then that's God saying, I don't want you to go to seminary right now. I want you to take a year off. And I will trust that as like, I mean, it's in a way almost by just obeying that, God could speak through that and force me into a place that he wants me to be. So that's what our plan was. And then to make a long story short, short later that November, this, this lady who was unconnected with our church, except for that she did not like our church, <laughs> ended up coming over and with no knowledge of our situation and just offered for us to stay in this rental home of hers for free. Not only that, she was going to fix the place up. And, and by doing that, that was just enough for us to be able to get by and also go to seminary. And we didn't, I don't know if that was really the floodgates of heaven being open at that point. It did not feel like it. You know, life kind of continued on. We just were able to, to do those things. But it was a moment where he said, this is a real God who really does follow through on this. There was another time uh, that we were uh, in a situation where we had just bought this house and just doors opened up. It was an amazing situation. And we still had our other house we were trying to sell. And I had my first month where I had to pay two mortgages. And if there's ever a time where you're going, you know, I'm going to write this check out here. <laughs> like maybe just one month, just so I can make my, my bill. And then maybe we'll make it up to God in the coming months. You know, once we sell the house, that stuff will work out, right? But we're like, no, this is not about giving. It's not about the church. It's about trusting if there's a real God. So we're going to do this, and then whatever happens, happens. Well, that same month, I ended up doing a, a funeral for, again, this, this couple that uh, was unconnected to our church, had just heard about it through a friend. And I did the funeral, and a lot of times if you're a pastor and you do a wedding or funeral, they'll give you an honorarium, maybe $25, $50, something like that. This man wrote me a check for $750. I've never gotten anything close to that since. Now, if you want to write your pastor's checks for $750, that's actually a pretty good practice, so, you know. <laughs> but again, 
You know? And this is not something that, oh, well, you know, maybe if you decide to become a pastor, God will actually follow through on these things. I sat out here after the second service and just person after person came up to me and said, oh, same thing, or we had this, and here's how he kind of removed the devourer. My tax bill just got cut in half. How do you get your, your property tax bill cut in half? I didn't know the government was into doing that kind of thing. You know, but this couple was tithing, and that, you know, so they was tithing, and, and it happened. Again and again, I, I hear these stories. Uh, another one that kind of ferrets off of this, one time I was, I always kind of tell these things. I love to tell the, these kind of stories, and my brother-in-law, who had just kind of started coming to our church, he'd been there about a year, and uh, he had heard a lot of this stuff, and he decided on his own that they were going to tithe. They're like, you know what? We need to do this. We want to take these steps of faith and, and trust in God. And so he starts tithing. But um, I didn't know about it at the time, but about two or three weeks later, he comes over and he tells me. He says, Mark, I got a story for you. He says, you know how you talk about tithing? Well, we decided to do this, but I, I really didn't know what was going to happen because I'm a paramedic, you know? It's not like I... I work on sales and God has these avenues through a commission or through a bonus at the end of the year. It's like, I'm a paramedic. I know when I'm going to get paid, <laughs> you know? So my tithing is going to come out from, I don't know where it's going to come out from. But he says, we did this. I said, I'm going to tithe. And he says, would you believe that within a week, I went into my mailbox and I received a check for about $5,000. And then along with that, a promise that I would have an increase in my pay of $350 a month. And I went, oh, really? <laughs> How did this happen? He says, well, it's the oddest thing. He says, two years ago, the entire county decided, you know, along with this lawyer, a couple other paramedics got together for a class action lawsuit against the county because they felt like there, there was something off with their pay and the timing of vacations or whatever. And he says, I thought it was a silly thing, so I didn't want any part with it. Well, these guys went ahead, they won this case, and then when the county lost, they decided not only to pay all those that were part of the suit, but also to pay all of those that weren't a part of it. And so that's how it came to be that I got a check two years later in my mailbox on that particular day. Maybe that's coincidence. But I've just seen enough of these that it's not some type of miraculous thing that you tell about in a story. It becomes a regular part of your interaction with God as you learn to fully trust him. Trust that he's real. Trust that all your resources come from him. Trust that he is the one that can add increase, that he is the one that can remove the devourer, that he is the one who wants to, you to love him and to know him and to rely on him. If there's anything else I can say about this, it's that God works, and this is another means that you can connect with him and experience him. And this isn't about you trying to tithe, because I'm not worried about the resources of this church. Because I know that God will bless those of you who are, are being blessed, and that you guys become even more generous. We're going to be fine. <laughs> but what I am most excited about is those of you who will go out today and will say, I wonder if there's really a real God, if I can really put my faith and trust. And I know what that's like. I know what that's like when you're writing that check and what it feels like. And it will feel good even in that moment. And if it doesn't, then hold it back because you want to make sure it feels good. But when you write it, it, it'll be a little hard. But when you first do it, you'll feel it. And there will be something in there that you've almost kind of released, especially whatever the stressor is. Because you know, there's, when it happens, there's this bill, there's this. There's all of these things that are weighing down going, hey, don't even think about that. You're crazy. Wait another month. Put it, put it ahead. 
But it's in that moment when you go, oh, if I've just done this and I don't have anything else, then what do I do? Who's going to take care of these problems over here? God, I give you this, and you take care, and he, he steps in. He does. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a real God, that when we gather here in this theater every Sunday morning, that it's not to go over principles and practices. It's not stuff that just works occasionally or will work over a period of time but that we engage a real and living act of God and that you have stepped into my life and you have shown yourself and you have provided as you have provided for others and their stories are, are littered throughout this entire theater and this auditorium here today. I ask that you give that courage and that you use your Holy Spirit to, to draw others into a, a deeper relation of trust upon you and upon your son. It is in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray.